Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host, and happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in with us. It's wonderful, again, to open the Bible and to study the Word of God in regard to education. This is the topic which we are looking into, and uh, today it's a very interesting one, the law as a teacher. And I invite you to stay with us for the whole program. And... Uh, Open the Bible if you can. If you drive, just uh, listen to us and we'll uh, try our best to bring to you passages of the Bible and uh, explain the importance of law for our education. I'd like to introduce my panel for today and uh, welcome Will. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure, Nick. We learn as we go. Ken, good to have you with us also. Thank you very much, Nick. Good to be back again. Len, good to have you back also. Yes, well, it's lovely over here in Fiji, but welcome to the program, listeners. <laughs> You're kidding, Len. And uh, if you are in Fiji right now, then uh, we are in Honolulu. All right. Um, I will welcome um, uh, Joe. Thank you for joining us today again. Pleasure to be here. And Lija, it's good to have you with us. Yes, I feel very privileged to be part of the study of God's Word. And Brenton, it's good to have you with us because you are the one who will uh, lead and you are the facilitator. Thank you for putting together um, this Bible study and welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. And uh, we look forward to presenting this uh, because it is a very interesting and a very important topic. Absolutely. And uh, Brenton, with no further comments, just passing over to you. Thank you, Nick. The law's teacher is uh, what it actually says, and we're going to be looking at the law. We're not going to have a look at the moral law, the civil law, the religious laws, the hygiene laws, bit by bit. We're going to have a look overall at the function of the law, all of those that I've mentioned, and how they relate to everyday life and how they relate to our relationship to God, and more specifically, the educational role that the law has um, in our, our society and in the way we interact with one another. But before we do any of that, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer. It is so vitally important that the Holy Spirit guides us in our study today. And Len, I wondered if you would pray for us before we open God's word to the book of Deuteronomy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity of sharing your word with people all over Australia and around the world. And we realise that you're a God of wisdom and you teach us the things that we need to know. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will be with each of us here and we will share your words and thoughts. And we pray also, Lord, that um, the Holy Spirit might lead our listeners to come to a closer relationship with you. We invite your blessings on us and the listeners today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. As I stated earlier, this week's study looks at the law of God as an educational tool to teach both the true fear of God and reverence for him. Also, our prosperity depends upon our obedience, I believe. It also touches on the fact that even if you are obedient to God, this is not an automatic guarantee of a life of prosperity and happiness. The law is viewed in Galatians as a type of tutor 
to bring us to Christ. So let's journey together as we discover more of the function of the law in the education of life. When you read the book of Deuteronomy, you most people know that if we were using 2020 language, we would be saying something along the lines of this is Moses' last will and testament. These are the last words that he spoke to the children of Israel before he died. Will um, he made some very interesting comments in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. I wondered if you'd be kind enough to share those texts with us and perhaps um, explain a little bit exactly what is uh, Moses referring to and why is he so insistent on them following these faithfully. Yes, he's clearly uh, facing death and um, he realises this is his last will and testament uh, to be repeated and taught to the children of Israel. But let me read you Deuteronomy 4, verses 6 to 8. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way that the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Clearly what he is saying here is that nations looking in on Israel would uh, praise them, their marvellous leading, the theocracy as it were, and that uh, the laws and the teachings, the very principles that God has given through Moses to the people um, would be the absolute best and that they would look on it with, uh, with wonder and admiration. Thank you, Will. Len, do you have any further comments to add to this? Because I find these three verses that Will's read extremely interesting. Yes. You know, it seems that um, when people follow the laws of God, and you've referred to what laws we're talking about, they tend to be a happier and holier and healthier people Mm. than those who don't. And so here is God saying, look, if you follow my laws, and Moses was saying, if you follow the laws of God and you obey them, you will do well, you will prosper. And uh, I know these days the prosperity gospel has got things out of whack. Prosperity doesn't necessarily Mm. mean rich. But you will do well. You should be healthier, holier and happier and the general population. Yeah, good point. And any other thoughts on that? Ken? I just think it's very interesting that the nations round about that were looking in at Israel and the laws they had thought this was great. And I, I think the reason for that is that when you have laws, you have standards. And if people were to adhere to the standards, life would be much better all over, but unfortunately as people don't adhere to standards which are are not difficult standards, they're just really, I believe, common sense, but as we know there's not a lot of common sense around today. If we were to adhere to these standards, 
whole world would be a much, much better place. It certainly would. Uh, Will, you had a comment. Looking in from the outside, um, we can see that uh, we've got examples in Scripture of people, uh, even from afar, wondering at the leading of God. And we, one stands out, and that is Rahab, Rahab in Jericho. You recall that she entertained or hid the spies there. And her comment was, we know that God is leading this people. And uh, she felt very much inclined to help and to join this people and to show them kindness. And of course, it so works out that Rahab, the example that were being presented by the laws and the obedience in Israel, ultimately led her to be a progenitor of Christ. Exactly. Len and then uh, Nick. I have a book in my library which was written by a Jewish doctor. Right. And it wasn't original material. He borrowed that material from another author who, in turn, got her material from the Bible. And this Jewish author points out all the good things that happen if we follow God's rules on health. Thank you. Um, Nick, you had a comment. Mm. Yes, I was just going to, to add this before we even go further. When you mentioned the word law, mm-hmm. yes, majority of people's mind, it comes that idea of restriction. And we're thinking that's restrictive rather than um, to think in the other way that uh, it's protective. Because uh, God's law was never intended to restrict us. It was um, even after the, the sin. But keep in mind this, that even before sin, there are, there are laws. Yes. No? And um, the enemy, the devil, he was not happy with how God was uh, running this universe, to say so. Instead of understanding that the law of God is in our favor, for our benefit, for our well-being, for our happiness, many people look at the law and even call those people who uphold the law legalists. Mm. Now, mm. coming today to learn about how the law of God is beneficial for our education, for our preparation to face all sorts of challenges in life and prepare ourselves for the everlasting life. Thank you, Nick. That's a good balance because when we get a little bit further in our study today uh, and go to the book of Galatians, you'll see what you've just stated, Nick, that the law, rather than being a restriction, the law is a protector. It's a guide. It's a, it's a safety. You could say, call it a safety net, mm. I, I, I guess. What's, what's particularly interesting, and um, Will read um, these verses, there are two things here that stand out for me in verse 6. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding. Now, what do we understand wisdom to be? Because I'm going to come to Joe in a minute, and she's going to read us the text, which is absolutely spot on exactly what's happening here. Len. Wisdom is the proper and wise application of knowledge. In other words, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but unless you apply it properly, it won't do you any good. Yes. So wisdom 
is the proper application of knowledge. Okay. Nick? I will have a la- another spin on that one. <laughs> In my understanding is wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Right. Because in, um, you know how in the Bible says that the wisdom of this world, it's foolishness before God. Mm-hmm. But yeah. to fear God, and we'll come maybe to that to explain what that means. What sort of fear? Is that, uh, is that the way are scared of God or something like that? Not at all. Yeah, we're going to touch on that, uh, Nick. We'll so touch can... on that a bit yeah. more. But the Bible yeah. says that the fear, uh, the true wisdom is uh, to fear God. Mm. Well, it actually says, the text says, it's the beginning of wisdom. It does, um, Len, that's true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It states that, doesn't it? Now, the other aspect that Will touched on uh, was the word understanding. Uh, We're going to come to that now. Uh, Joe, I wondered if you'd read 1 Kings 10, verse 11, because there was, I believe, in the history of Israel, there was one outstanding example of someone who asked for both wisdom and understanding. His name was Solomon. And uh, in chapter 10 of First Kings, Joe is going to read to us, that he, he had a certain visitor by the name of the Queen of Sheba. And Joe, could you share with us what the, the Queen of Sheba said when she came to observe Solomon and everything that he did? Uh, yes, definitely. Brenton, you'd find that most of chapter 10 deals with her, she is completely taken aback. She is breathless. She is so overcome and overawed by what she sees, what she observes. Um, It apparently is that Israel reached its zenith under the the kingship of Solomon. And everything that was predicted, if you like, by Moses back in Deuteronomy, you know, that, um, you know, to faithfully obey with, you know, the wisdom. What kind of, you'll be a nation that has wisdom and understanding if you obey God. And so we have this fulfilled here because she is taken aback and she says many things. Okay, starting in chapter 10, I'm reading from the Good News Bible. It says, The Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame and she travelled to Jerusalem to test him with difficult questions. She brought with her a large group of attendants as well as camels loaded with spices, jewels and a large amount of gold. When she and Solomon met, she asked him all the questions that she could think of. He answered them all with, there was nothing too difficult for him to explain. The Queen of Sheba heard Solomon's wisdom and saw the palace he had built. She saw the food that was served at his table, the living quarters of his officials, the organisation of his palace staff and the uniforms they wore, the servants who waited on him at feasts and the sacrifices he offered in the temple. It left her breathless and amazed. She said to King Solomon, What I heard in my own country about you and your wisdom is true, but I couldn't believe it until I had come and seen it all for myself. But I didn't hear even half of it. Your wisdom and wealth are much greater than what I was told. How fortunate are your wives and how fortunate your servants who are always in your presence and are privileged to hear your wise sayings. Praise the Lord your God. He has shown how pleased he is with you by making you king of Israel because his love for Israel is eternal. He has made you their king so that you can maintain law and justice. 
Thank you, Joe. Don't you see this uh, panel as being exactly what Moses predicted back in uh, Deuteronomy 4, verse 6 to 8, if they were faithful to the Lord their God? You know, Brenton, we know that Solomon's reign was not perfect. So it just shows that even with him adhering to the level that he did, the, the prosperity, the blessing that flowed through him to his people and through to other nations was amazing. And so I think it, you could almost translate it to us today. If we actually lived up to what we knew was right, consistently imagine the blessing that would flow through from that that's the promise isn't it Mm. that others will be blessed in their interactions with us and you know what they had to gain you know we would be a blessing Mm. good point joe um i believe today even in 2020 if we followed Mm. these principles like moses commanded israel to do we would as god's people we would be head and shoulders above the world in understanding, in wisdom, because our world is not good on wisdom and understanding at the present moment. I think, Ken, you mentioned that earlier on, that the wisdom is not that common. The wisdom it's talking about here is the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom to apply knowledge, as Len said, also wisdom in regard to deciphering the difference between good and evil. And if ever there was a time we needed to have clear understanding of the difference between good and evil and what to avoid and what to take on board, I think it's today. Wouldn't you agree? In Deuteronomy also, we find that Moses was commanded by God to write a song. And uh, Ken, I wonder if you could read Deuteronomy 31 verse 19 for us. I read this song through this morning. And uh, I thought it was a most interesting song because it's it's largely prophetic in many words. We haven't got time to go through it all. But God is um, basically telling Moses that these people of yours, uh, when you're gone, they're going to wander away from me and start worshipping other gods. Uh, so, Ken, I wondered if you could just share Deuteronomy 31 verse 19 and particularly comment on uh, the term witness that is mentioned in that verse. Thanks, Ken. I'm reading from King James Version. Now therefore, this is God speaking, Now therefore, write ye this song for you, and teach it to children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. I do find this actually a really, really interesting uh, verse, because as we know, usually you talk about laws that are either written down or they're, they're told to people. But God in his wisdom realized that if the younger children, uh, perhaps in, in particular, could learn the song from the younger age, that it's more likely to stay in their head as a song and a tune, perhaps in learning another law. I think this is probably the reason why God uh, came up with this idea. Yeah, any other thoughts on that? What, what do you find interesting in the words, a witness for me, the me is in capitals, so it's obviously talking about God. It's God's witness against Israel. Joe, I see it as God knew that with time, you know, they would go into the promised land, they would prosper, they would do well, and bit by bit, as is so easy to do, they would forget God and be seduced into worshipping you know, the idols of the nations that they had driven out ahead of them. And so 
he's put in a, a teaching tool, if you like, this song, so that a song, as long as a song is remembered and sung, yes. um, will be a, a generation that might have forgotten God or, and they will hear this song and the words are evidence for God, evidence to show that, you know, when they hit hard times, you know, they should be able to f- uh, find their way back. Last week we talked about setting up, setting up a framework whereby if our children and if we lose our way or, you know, do a detour and find ourselves lost somewhere, that we will have the means to return. And so I feel that this song is a, a way of God speaking to the oncoming, the future generations, so that they may find him through the words of these songs. Or this I song. think that's a good point, Joe. It is actually, the song is actually prophetic in many respects. Yes. It's also a teaching tool. Ken, yeah. you had a comment too. I'd just actually like to read the next verse, if that's all right. By all means, go, go right ahead. For, for when I shall have brought them into the land, which I swear unto their fathers, that's loath with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then will they turn unto other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And I think that this is such a, an amazing thing because I think it's so act of mankind. We, we have all these things around us today and, and we think perhaps all these things we've achieved ourselves and we forget actually that everything good comes from the Lord. And obviously the same thing was happening back in those days. The people had been... Uh, uh, walking from for many years, and they they cared they were going to come into a land that God had blessed with everything. And I think once they settled down and and really, I'm sure they started to forget God because everything was good for them. Ken, that's a very interesting point. I wonder, as a panel, have we really thought? And Joe, you mentioned it earlier on too. It intrigues me that they went into the land of Canaan, and they were initially very, very prosperous and very, very successful. I wonder whether God is forewarning them that their prosperity can also be their downfall. Absolutely. I, I just wonder. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. Nick, you've got a comment. Yeah. Again, I would like to just uh, bring it a little bit uh, from a different angle uh, here because we are talking here in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 31. And if yes. in the whole context of this uh, and the song of uh, Moses, uh, we'll realize very quickly that this is a set of laws and uh, as we know even from before, uh, blessings and curses. Yes. Which, uh, um, mentioned about uh, Israel. Now, Israel was a nation, God's people chosen to reflect God's character in the, uh, in the surroundings, in the land and wherever they go. God is giving them instructions to be able to do that. And I would like to say this because may, some people may come up and uh, say uh, about the law of God being done away with. And in this chapter 31, if we read verse 24. Well, you can share that with us, Nick. says this, when Moses had finished writing the entire body of instructions in the book, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of instructions and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant 
of the Lord your God. Do you see here very significant something? We are not talking about the moral law here, the Ten Commandments per such, because this can be misunderstood by people. We are talking about the instructions which were given to Israel for their benefit, for because they were coming out of Egypt, going to into the Promised Land, and mm. had to follow some certain rules to yeah. be identified as God's people. Yeah. Now, these ro- uh, laws and instructions, some of them passed yeah. the, uh, the cross. And that's why it says here, this law, put it beside the ark. And we know in the Bible that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, it's inside of the ark of the covenant. It's very significant for those people who like to compare this language of the law of God and the instructions. Yeah. Nick, would it be fair to say that this other body that he's talking about of law is complementary to what we're doing? We touched earlier very briefly, and we need to keep moving on the fear of God. The difference between um, the fear of God and loving God. Lydia, I wonder if you could share Exodus 20, verse 18 to 21, and let's comment briefly on why God chose this particular method of, um, shall we say, educating his people. Because this is the, the first time that we find in the Bible where God's law is actually given in writing to people. The Lord led his people through love before, and he showed them love in everything and protection. uh, God's protection was very visible uh, day and night. But uh, because of their rebellion, now the time came for God to give them some commandments, some rules to obey them, for their own happiness. He instructed Moses to consecrate uh, themselves and wash their clothes and come near by the Mount Sinai. So God's presence was there through thunder and lightning and a thick cloud. The Mount Sinai was covered with smoke uh, because the Lord descended uh, on it in fire. And... uh, the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. Uh, and um, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. So um, I'm going to read now Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. And it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourselves and we will listen, but do not have God spoke to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Sure. Thank you. Um, Remember verse 1 of the very same chapter, Ligia, that you read, says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, in making that statement, God prefaces the giving of his Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments, by making this statement. This statement surely is designed to teach them that the God that they serve, because the very first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, 
the very first commandment is designed to teach them you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for what I've done for you. Now, I see in there a combination of fear of God, the fear of God in the sense that um, God is almighty and can do anything he wishes, but I also see the love of God because he says in another place, um, I brought you out like, like on eagle's wings and I brought you unto myself. You find that uh, God is very, very caring and protective of his people, but perfectly balanced against that is he expects obedience from them in order that they may really reap the benefits of what he is proposing to do for them. Does that make sense? Brenton, I um, read in verse 21 of yeah. Exodus 20. Yeah, go, um, go right ahead, Will. The reaction of the people when, um, when God appeared in majesty and blazing glory, it says the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Yes. You know, God's majesty, I'd like to call it uh, the result of uh, approaching it reverential awe. You know, the Bible may say that it's uh, fear, but I think it's reverential awe. God displays his majesty in wonderful brilliance. And uh, whilst it is, it is scary in a way, you know, it, uh, it, it brings us to our knees in reverential awe. And this is what I think God requires of us. Yeah, thank you, Will. That's a good comment. Nick, just, just quickly on that one, just keep in mind the, the differences in between the people and Moses. Those people who were fearful at that time, they mm -hmm. didn't have an experience with God yet. As in contrast, Moses, who spoke these words to them later on, he had an experience with God. He walked on the mountain where the manifestation of God was uh, in display, Yes, And then he could speak about the fear of the Lord, not as, as the people in the camp experienced. Because the people in the camp, they experienced a different fear of the Lord, a fear which, which separated them from the Lord. But Moses experienced a different fear of the Lord, a fear of relationship, a fear of seeing how God, in all, all his mighty, he's protecting him. And even he was so courageous to ask God to show his face to him. Yeah, now, true. after so many years, Moses is telling the people of Israel how important it is to have that connection with God, that relationship, that pay God to trust him. That fear, it's a fear combined with the love of God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can be in that category of people uh, looking at God as as very, you know, whatever, angry and uh, uh, with the wrong manifestation. And that was the case of the people in the camp. Yep, good point. Len? There were a couple of texts which were quoted a little earlier, Exodus 19 verse 4 and Exodus 20 verse 1, which point out to the people or pointed out to the people that God cared for them. And this is why God gave the rules. Now, I know somebody who just got a new puppy. It was brought over from Western Australia. And this puppy had to relate to its new owner. And when it discovered that the new owner was loving and caring, the puppy was happy to serve or to do what it was told at least. And that's how it is with 
people. When we understand who God is and that he cares for us, then it's a lot easier for us to relate to him. And the fear that we have is not painful fear, it's joyful fear. Yes, good point. Joe? There is another text in Scripture to balance all this. Joe, there's just just so many. It's a pity we've only got a short period of time. It's going to bring up that perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, that's in Romans, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And so uh, I think it's already been mentioned that it's not the fear of, you know, ignorant savages and heathen. This is a fear, like Will has mentioned, a reverential awe, a desire to worship to actually have some understanding of God's greatness yeah. and um, that this is, yeah, that this really humbles us in our own estimation of ourselves. Joe, that's a very good comment. But I just want to comment briefly on uh, in summarising what we're saying about the fear of God. How many of you have had the privilege of going to some of the great cathedrals of Europe and having a look inside them? Uh, Len yeah, Len has. We went to one in Spain called the Sagrida Familia. Some of you may have heard it, Sacred Child. It's been being built now for 100 years. They started work on it in 1926, and allegedly they're going to have it finished for the 100th anniversary in 2026. I defy anybody to go into that church, even if they're completely non-religious, and stand and look at the lofty naves and spires of that church. It inspires awe in you. And I believe um, what you were saying, Will, about reverential awe is what you get when you go to these places. Even people, even tourists who are in there click, click, clicking around the place, most of them are talking in low tones or they're just whispering because it's, it, it inspires in you a sense of God's holiness and God's awe. Yeah, and, and Brenton, just on uh, that one, coming from uh, Europe and understanding what you're saying on that, I would like to mention this. Even though it's true that when you walk into a, one of those big uh, buildings, cathedrals and so on, you have that sense, you know, of awe. But unfortunately, what you don't have there, it's a personal connection, relationship with the living God. Very. And unfortunately, many traditional churches, they are just stopping there. They go into those places, and they, but they don't have a continuous relationship yeah. with God. And that's what God is instructing us here, to have that personal relationship with God. Sure. And as you said in the other passage of the Bible, it says, when it says, fear God, fear God and what? Fear God and? Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. Fear God and worship him. You see, there, there is a big difference. And yeah. I must say that this is the thing which we as Christians, we may lack if we don't, we, we are not careful. We yes. can uh, have that, just those experiences once in a while. Yeah, we can. Thank you, everyone, for your comments. Joshua also um, had uh, the same thing said to him. Uh, Will, I won't uh, bother... Uh, reading those texts at the moment, but if you would like to summarise for us just briefly uh, what God was telling Joshua in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, then we'll move on to, shall we say, the other side of the coin, because one could easily get the impression that if you follow God faithfully, you're going to have a wonderful life, you'll be rich, comfortably off, 
Um, everything will sail along beautifully, but there is evidence, of course, in Scripture that that wasn't always so. What did God say to Joshua in Joshua 1, 7 and 8, Will, that you could summarise for us? God says, be strong, be very courageous, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And then he goes on to say that you should meditate on it day and night and be careful to do everything that is written in it. And then he says, you will be prosperous and successful. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, he says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Clearly, God, the all-wise one, says that by obeying the principles of Scripture and the laws given, not only through Moses, but uh, the, the lifestyle messages right throughout the Scripture, we will come out on top, Brendan, and I believe that with all my heart. I believe it so too, Will. Um, Joe, you had something to share with us relative yeah. I'd love to just draw our attention to the fact that God admonishes Joshua to be courageous. You know, yes. it's not always easy. It's not always easy to be obedient, is it? And sometimes we need to be courageous. You know, it takes courage and strength. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we know that some of the most obedient people in the Bible, they didn't necessarily live easy lives. Uh, we can take the example of Job, and I'm sure, Nick, if we had another five sessions Mm -hmm. on Bible study, we could <laughs> take Job over the next five sessions. So uh, I won't spend a lot of time on Job. I think most people who are listeners or panel know the story of Job fairly well. You think of poor old John the Baptist. He had a role to play. His role was to present Christ, the Messiah, to the people of Israel. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What happened to poor old John the Baptist? He was executed in prison. And even the Apostle Paul, where he talks about it in 2 Corinthians 11, which we haven't got time to look at, contrasting with that, you had those who were prosperous. You had Abraham, you had Solomon and Hezekiah. I particularly want to note Hezekiah. Joe, I wondered if you could read 2 Chronicles 31, 20 to 21 and give us a brief comment on that. This is from the Good News Bible. It says, throughout all Judah... King Hezekiah did what was right and what was pleasing to the Lord, his God. He was successful because everything he did for the temple or in observance of the law, he did in the spirit of complete loyalty and devotion to his God. And so it's, it tells us here that um, Hezekiah was faithful and he did the best that he could and he was uh, obedient to what he knew to be the truth. You know, everything prospered under him. His life wasn't perfect, a, a bed of roses either. And I guess if we look at all the characters, you know, no one's life is perfect and blemish-free in the sense that we all have good, you know, good times and bad times. And so even those who are completely obedient have times when they're actually going through a rough patch. Um, we know that there's a Bible text that says the rain falls on the just and the unjust and no one's life is always easy. And so we can't say, well, you know, I draw the connection that I think it was in, in the New Testament where the Jews thought, well, you know, this person is sick or they're poor or they're going through hard times. This is evidence of God's displeasure. 
that they're sinners and those who are prospering, this is evidence of God's pleasure and blessing. And so they must be right with God. And so we need to avoid making these, drawing these conclusions ourselves. And like you've mentioned, you know, people like Job, John the Baptist, Paul, even Jesus himself suffered and learned, learned from their suffering, learned to be compassionate and understanding. Um, and we too have lessons to learn as well. Because our lives aren't cruisy all the time, are they? No, they're not. That, that's true. But I, I think the key ver- uh, points, Joe, that you brought out in Second Chronicles 31 is that whatever Hezekiah did for the Lord, he did it wholeheartedly and he did it with total sincerity. Now, yes. you might, um, we as a panel might remember when God was choosing a king, the second king of Israel, and uh, Samuel brought in the very first son of Jesse, whose name was Eliab, and God said, not this one. And um, it came to a point where I think uh, the statement was made, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. So surely the education that we're talking about from the law uh, in our study today, surely if that education is applied as it should be, it will not only produce a reverential fear of God, it will not only produce wisdom and understanding, but it will produce the right motivation for serving the Lord. We're going to turn now to the New Testament because in Christ's time, Christ made certain comments. In Matthew five seventeen and 18, he said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfil. Anybody knows there is a difference between destroy and fulfill. However, at the end of his earthly life, in John 15.10, he made a certain statement. Ken, I wondered if you could share that with us, please. And I would be assuming you'd be reading from the King James Version. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I think that makes it very, very clear. This is Jesus, of course, talking. And he's saying, if you will keep commandments, that you will abide in the Father's love, because Jesus kept all the commandments, as we know, and he had an ultra-close relationship with God. And he's trying to tell us uh, here, I believe, that we will have that same relationship with God if we keep the commandments. Good, good point. Any other thoughts, panel, on this particular one? Do you notice the word abide? What does the word abide mean to you? Any comments? If we remain in his love and we love him, we love him without any other question, without any effort. It's effortless. Okay. Thank you, Lydia. That's a good comment. Joe, what do you think of when you think of the word abide? Think of continuing in, to continue in his love. Yeah. To dwell in his love. Yeah. Okay. To meditate. Yeah. Len, what do you think of when you think of it? You abide in an abode, and that's where you stay. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does that give you? The sense of abiding, what does it give you? Doesn't it give you a sense of security? Yes. A sense of safety? And really, this is what the law is all about. The law is designed, as we're going to come to in our next section, as a safety net, as a tutor, as a schoolmaster. We're going to go over now to the book of Galatians, uh, put that in a little more depth, and then we will close our comments for today. 
I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. Nick, you're going to read verse 19 to 22, and uh, I'm going to ask Len to read verses 23 through to 25. I think we'll have it in the order that they come in the Bible. So, Nick, if you could read Galatians 3, 19 to 22 first, yep. and then we'll start to uh, pull that apart a little bit and have a look at it in detail. All right. When then was the law given? It was given alongside the promises to show people their sins. But the law was designed that last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Okay, if you were summarizing that in simple uh, language, uh, Nick, what would you say? Right. First of all, what is the purpose of the law in verse 19 according to this? Yes. As I mentioned a bit earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 30, yes, mm. uh, and this one goes hand in hand with that uh, passage because it says clearly here um, the promises, and we make references of that in, uh, in Deuteronomy. And talking about Abraham and Moses, the, the two differences, because Moses was the... Um, mediator, to say so, in between uh, Israel and God. Mm -hmm. But as Abraham was given the promise to Abraham, and the promise was, even as it says, if we read uh, a little bit more in um, Galatians here, is didn't say to your children, it says to the child, which made the reference directly, you know, to uh, to Jesus Christ and also the um, uh, fulfillment in, in Jesus Christ. Yeah, what I believe here in between these two, um, characters, Moses and Abraham, is that uh, God is still looking back to the original relationship with us all. Everything what happened in between was because of our sin and transgressions and separation from God. Yeah, okay, good points. Okay, isn't this an interesting section? We know one of the purposes of the law is to point out that we are sinners. Are, you, are we right there? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay. Now, I think in another example that's used in the Bible, it calls the law something like a mirror. You look in the mirror. Now, yesterday morning I had the unfortunate um, experience of going to see the skin specialist again. Um, I have a number of solar keratoses on my face and various other parts of my body. And uh, this very nice man took some uh, liquid nitrogen and squirted it on my scalp and on my face and on various other parts of my face as well. And the stinging sensation was something fierce. Now, I was almost in agony yesterday morning when he'd finished um, doing this. When I look in the mirror in the morning and I shave, it tells me that the, my skin has suffered quite a lot of skin damage. But it can't do anything to change my skin and make it into the skin of a 15-year-old. The law is the same. The law simply points out to me that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost. But what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to lead us to the one who can do something about it. 
in Galatians chapter 3, 24 and 25, is another description of the law. And it's interesting that I should be reading this, having (laughs) been um, a school teacher, schoolmaster for many years. That's why I asked you to read it, Len. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm reading from the King James Version because it gives the word schoolmaster. Verse 24, Galatians 3. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In verse 25, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now, this is not saying that <laughs> when you have faith that the law doesn't apply. A schoolmaster is not just the person who hands out discipline. A schoolmaster is someone who teaches you, who leads you to be a proper citizen of the country. Yes, yes. And the law does the same thing. It teaches us how to be proper citizens, not only socially, but also spiritually. Mm. And when we have attained to faith, when we realize that we can only be saved through faith, the demands of the law are still there, but they don't apply to us. If we are doing what is right, the law doesn't affect us in the sense that we are breaking it. You can't really love the law and be afraid of the law at the same time, can you? No. I think Joe, was it you? Or somebody brought out earlier on that perfect love cast out fear. I think it was you, Joe. Yes, it was. Um, this, This is really interesting. I'm going to share with you very quickly because I know our time is short. There are two words mentioned here. Len, in his reading of Galatians 3, 24 and 25, uses the word schoolmaster. Another word that is also meant is the word tutor, T-U-T-O-R. We all know what a tutor is. Um, The Greek word is pedagogos. I'm not going to go through it all with you, but basically summarising it, it can mean that its role is to protect or guard. A pedagogos in Greek society was a person appointed by the family or specifically by the husband to look after the children of the family. I'm talking specifically the boys. The pedagogos went to school with them. He took them to school, brought them home from school. He was responsible for protecting them. He was responsible for keeping them out of mischief. And if you ever see pictures in Greek mythology, or not Greek mythology, but in Greek art of a pedagogos, he often has a stick in his hand. Now, One of the functions of the law is to keep us, so to speak, on the straight and narrow, but it's a little bit different from the word didaskalos, which is the word for teacher. Um, I've written here the law is is a protector to bring us to Christ. So whilst not a teacher in the sense we understand teacher, it has a teaching function. As you consider that whenever Israel strayed from the law, bad things happened, And the whole history of Israel, if we had the time today to study the whole history of Israel, we would see repeated failures and returning to the Lord again, more failures and returning to the Lord again. Isn't it a pity that they didn't really learn the lesson that only in obedience to God could they um, actually inherit everything that uh, God had for them? 
I wonder, Lydia, could you read a comment for us, please? There is a comment here that I would like you to share with our listeners in our closing comments and summarising today. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So the law of love calls here for the devotion of body, mind, and soul to the service of God and our fellow men. So the love is the basis of creation and of redemption and is the true basis of education. This is made plain in the law of God that he has given the guide of life. So the first and the great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, which it says in Luke ten twenty seven. So to love him, to love God, the infinite and the omniscient one with the whole strength and mind and heart means the highest development of every power. It means that in the whole being, the body, the mind, as well as the soul, is the image of God that is to be restored in us. Thank you, Legia. That's uh, that's very nicely summarised. Just in closing, let me say this. Um, It's no wonder that the psalmist, it says in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The law still functions in showing us every day we are sinners and coming to the perfect law keeper for cleansing and power to overcome. It cannot save us, but teaches us of our utter dependence on Jesus who fulfilled the law. And I would like to close our study today by simply saying this. We love him because he first loved us. The basis of all law-keeping is not for the purpose of salvation. The basis of law-keeping is because we are in a saved relationship. And because we love him, we want to serve him and be obedient to all of his commands. And just in maybe a brief comment, Joe, you mentioned earlier on about uh, the civil laws being an expansion or um, extension of the moral laws. Isn't it interesting today in the world in which we live, the laws of hygiene, for instance, that God gave, many Christians think all of that's Old Testament stuff and it's done away with. What a pity, because the principles that are enunciated in the Old Testament in regard to hygiene and to health and to food and that sort of thing are needed more than ever in the world in which we live today. Aren't you thankful that God has given us? uh, Absolutely. Some of those things... Mm. Some of those um, principles have only recently, I mean, relatively recently, been rediscovered um, so that, you know, we know that surgeons were operating, they were dissecting cadavers, and then they were going to help deliver women not all that long ago. And so, um, you know, there are some wonderful principles that have given throughout Scripture that it would behove us to actually um, reflect upon and not dismiss as, you know, just, purely for then for then, or outdated, um, just because we don't always understand the basis of it, doesn't mean that it's irrelevant or wrong, mm. and that God was wrong. <laughs> yeah, good point, Joe. 
It, it needs to be said, I guess, in summary, that um, the laws of life, the laws of health and hygiene and uh, food relate to the whole world, not just to the Jews. After all, if God created the whole world, the laws relate to the whole world. And if we follow those laws faithfully, I believe we will reap the benefits of um, what God has put in his word. And if we follow them faithfully, we will indeed find ourselves healthy, happy and wise, as I think Len might have said earlier on. Ken, I wondered if you would close with prayer for us today. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to share your word. Today, Lord, as always, your word is an important one on the law. Help us, Heavenly Father, to understand that the law gives us freedom and love and security. Help us, Heavenly Father, to abide in your love and in your commandments. And by doing so, Heavenly Father, we will receive eternal life. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm, Amen. Thank you, everyone, for your uh, input today. May God bless you all. And uh, as we learn today that uh, we can look at the law of God as a teacher to understand and to know God more. Uh, Please join us again next time uh, when we are going to talk about the eyes of the Lord the biblical worldview. Until then, may God richly bless you. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.